Hey, what's up? What's up, Matt? How you doing, man? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Ab absolutely. You got your coffee there? Yes, sir. Of course. Uh, it's, if any of my friends are watching, they'll probably make fun of me because I'm not much of a coffee guy. I'm more of a tea guy. What, uh, okay. <laughs> what, what type of tea are you a big fan of? I'm a green tea kind of guy. Sugar, milk, or just... Uh, uh, one spoon of honey, and that's about it. The honey, I like the honey. That's a good, <laughs> and it's good for the throat, you know. Yes, exactly. As as a goalie, I assume you're you're screaming a lot, so that's you know <laughs> something yeah, you got to yeah, take yeah, care yeah. of. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back to another footy and coffee conversations. Uh, to get started, if you want to introduce yourself, what position you are, and what team you currently play for. Yeah, so my name's Eric Klonowski. I'm a goalkeeper for Toronto FC2. Uh, yeah, USL League One. That's me. How How is it right now? Uh, you guys are starting is it July 18th. Yeah, um, that's what it's looking like right now. July 18th, we'll be back. There's still some uh, issues with us in terms of figuring out what the border looks like at the moment, especially with uh, cases rising and us being the only League One team on the wrong side of the border at the moment. Um, but no, everything is moving forward. We're, we have to, uh, we're, we're getting closer to being in like kind of a normal training uh, kind of environment, but still, you know, precautions, which we're going to have to deal with for the rest of the year, most likely. Um, hopefully it doesn't go into next season at all. But yeah, for the rest of the year, we're probably going to have a significant amount of uh, precautionary uh, things guidelines that we're going to have to follow along in order for the season to go forward are the are the borders closed right now between canada and the u.s so if i wanted to go back home to new jersey i could go but i would have trouble getting back in so canadians can go to america but the border is closed from american american to canadian okay. um so that's like a little bit of a an issue with us trying to travel in and out of the border uh, right now, there's like a 14-day quarantine uh, mandate. So every time we'd come back from a game, essentially we'd have to quarantine for 14 days and then start again. So that's obviously not realistic. So some things need to get worked out in order for us to uh, start moving forward and actually be playing games. So it'll be interesting to see how it all how it all evolves. You got to get like home base somewhere in the U.S. then for your team and just play. Toronto yeah, to out of South yeah. Dakota or something. <laughs> I was talking to a guy that you had on a few weeks ago, Cody Lorendi, about uh, how is this going to work? And he was like, well, there's actually a USL team back in the day called Antigua Barracuda, who like had their base out of Florida. And I was like, maybe we could just do the same thing in Rochester, just go on the other side of the border and live in Rochester for a few months. They just um, li they lived in like a, basically like an RV. No, really? <laughs> They just move around. Rest. Yeah, just that's, move around with that. Just show up at whatever field and, you know. I actually have a, a friend uh, who plays in the MLS who bought, like, a big van and, and gutted it and turned it into, like, a little apartment and, like, travels around the country during the offseason. You get, like, five or <laughs> five or six of those and just get going. Yeah, we just, just buy going. airport vans and, and TFC2 will live in those. <laughs> that, would be, that would be interesting, man. Oh, that would be incredible. Um, all right, so... <laughs> so going going back, let's go back to uh, your your youth career. Um, when did you start playing goalie? What did youth soccer for you look like? Yeah, so I started playing goalkeeper 
probably around like eight years old. When I was five, my dad signed me up for, you know, recreational baseball, basketball, soccer. And then I got to eight years old and he's like, all right, um, which one do you like the most? Let's go try out for one of the travel teams. And I'm like, now thinking back, it was like eight years old. We kind of jumped the gun on that one, but he was ambitious. Uh, so uh, good for him on that one. But yeah, I, I ended up trying out for the town soccer team uh, where I grew up and uh, the team was two years older than me. And, I, and the only position I was good enough at to be on the team was goalkeeper. So I started playing goalkeeper and then I was, I was just a goalkeeper for about a year or so. My dad was like, you know, don't you want to try any other positions? And I was like, you know, I didn't really think about it. I, I, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it, to be honest. And at the, at the same time, um, one of my still best friends, uh, Rainier Lopez moved to the town and he was also playing for two other teams. So there was a thing, I don't know if it still exists now, but it's called like double carded or triple carded. Um, so that we had that in New Jersey where you could play for more than one team. So uh, my friend and I played for two town teams that were a year up where we both played uh, like on the field. And then I played for the same age group team when I was like nine, 10 ish. That was like one of the best teams in the state where I played goalkeeper. Um, so that was kind of the case for, you know, 10 to 13, where I was playing for like two or three different teams. And, uh, you know, there was no academy back then or anything like that. The, the closest thing that I had to uh, development academy, whatever that is, uh, <laughs> uh, at the moment was, was the USL Super Y League was starting. I don't know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Y. Yeah. So there was a time where I was playing for um, West Milford, Paramus Spartans, NASA United, and then also in the summer playing for uh, TSF Academy's Super Y team. Uh, yeah. So it was, a, it was a busy time. And then on top of that, from, I want to say, 10 to 12 years old, my dad played basketball in college and was sending me to basketball camp all throughout the summer at the same time. Uh, so that was uh, very, very interesting and probably helped my whole goalkeeping aspect uh, in some regard. So, so I, I got to ask, what did you do with all your free time? All my free time. <laughs> um, I, I actually did a lot when I was here. I, I, for those that, that know me closely, doing a lot is like normal for me. So at the same time that I was, uh, you know, playing for two two or three different teams from 10 to 12. I was also a paper boy at the same time in my neighborhood. <laughs> so I was like on, on Wednesdays at four o'clock and like Saturdays at 9.30, I think in the morning, I was littering newspapers throughout the neighborhood. <laughs> I was doing, I was doing so much stuff, but I still, I still uh, do that. You know, it's still, I don't still deliver newspaper. <laughs> but I was like, oh, you still deliver some newspapers? A lot of things. No, no, no. I, it was actually a nice little scheme I had going when I was like 10 to 12 years old, where I delivered newspaper all throughout the year to these houses. It was like 12 to 13 houses. And then I also shoveled their driveways at the same time and mowed their lawns. So it was like a whole little scheme at the same time. So to get to the point, I had a lot of free time on my hands. <laughs> no, so I ended up playing for, uh, for TSF Academy from youth 13 all the way up to the under 23s level. Uh, played high school at DePaul Catholic, which uh, 45 minutes to an hour from where I grew up. Um, and then, yeah, off to, off to Mammoth Soccer. Monmouth University uh, on the Jersey Shore, and then went from there. How uh, now? When you were looking at, at college, 
Uh, what was your, your goal for going to college? Was it just to play soccer in college? Were you thinking professional at that point? What was your like thought process with it? I had conversations as early as 10, 11 years old, where I was like, I'm going to make this decision because I want to be a professional soccer player. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. So um, I remember there was a team that, you know, I could have gone to and I was like 11 or 12. And I can remember having a conversation with my mom and dad and saying, no, we're not going to go to that team because this team is going to give me a better chance of being professional. <laughs> so, yeah, I was thinking about soccer pretty heavily there. But at the same time, I, I feel very powerfully or very strongly about uh, building yourself outside of the sport. So I wasn't going to just go to school for the sake of going to school. Um, I wanted to study something that I was passionate about, but also you know, at 18, 17 years old, you don't really know what you're passionate about uh, outside of your sport. So, uh, you know, I like writing, speaking, I like sports. So I was like, all right, I'll study journalism, communication. Um, I want nothing to do with that now. Uh, <laughs> I feel uh, very strongly now that I, I want to go into coaching after I'm done. So that's uh, maybe something we can get into further on. But um, yeah. My college decision was very strongly based on uh, playing soccer, for sure. And, and I had a whole whirlwind recruiting process that um, is just, it's a very interesting story if you want to get into it. Yeah, let's, let's hear it. I love, I love the recruiting process because I think uh, younger players always have this idea of like, oh, this one school, I'm going to send them film and then they're going to, I'll just know yeah. it's my dream school. And then we, it works out perfectly and that's where I go. And no, usually not had, that way. A hundred percent not that way. I had such a and and I put all of the responsibility of this uh, happening on my shoulders. I was just incredibly naive as to what a college coach could do for me or couldn't do for me. And you know, I was in all American high school. I, I was doing well to be recruited. Um, so the story starts. Uh, I went to Dallas Cup. Uh, my parents. So in order for me to go to college, my, my brother went into the military. Um, my sister has worked so hard to pay her way through school. Um, what what branch of the military? Uh, the Coast Guard. He was in the Coast Guard. Now he's a, a police officer in Hillsborough County, Florida. Very cool. So uh, I knew that if I was going to go to college, there are two ways it's going to be possible. Either I'm going to be covered in debt or I need a full ride, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so... My parents were going through a divorce at the time. It, it, was, it was hard financially. So I actually, speaking to me, doing a lot of stuff at one time, I was delivering pizza uh, in high school and I paid my way to go. Domino's? No, no, no. TJ's oh. Pizzeria. It, was, it oh. wasn't a chain. You can't bring up Domino's to a guy from the New Jersey, New York area and expect us to not be offended. <laughs> uh, so, no, um, I paid my way to go to Dallas Cup um uh took a lot of pride in that we played fc dallas in the first game uh we lost two to one but i had a really good game um and the assistant coach for southern methodist university was there and it was one of those tournaments where you know not too many of our parents came and, and uber uh or lyft didn't exist back then uh and even if it did i had like a blackberry with no internet at the time so <laughs> so that wasn't gonna work um but I got an email from, from Kevin Hudson, who's now the, the uh, head coach at SMU. 
And he's like, hey, we're at your game. Uh, we're interested. Do you want to come take a visit at SMU? And I'm like, I would love to. Uh, how do I get there? Because, you know, <laughs> I don't know. And he's just like, we can't. Map quest. Yeah, map quest. That's, that's a great shout. That's a great shout. Um, no, he's like, we can't legally provide you a, a ride. Um, and SMU happened to be like a mile and a half down the highway from the hotel that I was staying at. So one of my one of my teammates and I walked down the highway to SMU for my first college visit, which was at SMU. Oh my uh, and this is like spring of my my junior year. So fast forward, I end up committing to SMU. Um, I had a decent scholarship package. Um, wasn't great, but I was like, you know, what, I'm going to earn more scholarship money and I'll figure it out and I'll go from there. Um, so fast forward, uh, they come and watch me play at at the All-American game in Alabama uh, in December of my senior year. Did okay, didn't do great. Um, and, I, and I get something that uh, a lot of people have heard of. It's called senioritis academically. Uh, and I was just like, this is why I say I was, I was a little naive in terms of, you know, what a college coach could do for me. And my grades were okay. You know, they, were, they weren't great, they weren't terrible. Um, signing day comes along. And it's the day before signing day and coach reaches out and goes, Hey Eric, we would, uh, we'd love to have you, but you didn't get into school. We're going to have to give your scholarship to somebody else. And this is, this is spring of my senior year. Now this is April of my senior year. Oh wow! I was the only all American, uh, for boys soccer in the history of my school at the time. So it was going to be this huge thing. And then like six, seven o'clock at night, I get a call from the coach and goes, yeah, it's not happening, buddy. And I'm just like, whole world's crashing down. Whole world's yeah. crashing down. What do I do? What do I do? And the first thing I thought of was like, oh, my God, my parents are going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> my parents are going to be pissed, man. Um, so I bit that bullet. Obviously, I had a hard conversation with my mom and dad. Um, and then, you know, I had, an op I, had a, I had a decision to make. I, I could either feel sorry about my sorry for myself or, you know, um, pick myself up and, and, and try to figure it out. Um, thankfully, like I said, I, I, I was decently recruited at the time. So once I became available, um, you know, the following day at school was one of the most embarrassing days at school I've ever had. Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> but at the same time, um, now kind of the mid-major D1 schools that were in the area that still had, had a need for a goalkeeper we're like, all right, great, let's get on this. So I actually had a note from my guidance counselor that said if Eric gets uh, a call from a college coach in class, he can pick up the phone and walk down to the office and like take the phone call. And for the rest of that day, all Monday, it was like every 15 minutes, I was like, yep, you're on with Eric, how's it going? <laughs> in like the middle of like history class. <laughs> which, which I'm sure uh, is gonna help you then do better in the class yeah, it, it was just, it was It was such a mess, it was such a mess. And then I ended up, I mean, I skipped school the next two days because I, I was going on visits. So on Tuesday, that Tuesday, I, I took a visit to Monmouth University where I ended up going. Uh, the, that Wednesday, I took a visit to Iona University, or Iona College, I'm not, I'm not sure. Apologies, Iona. Um, <laughs> and then Thursday, I was supposed to uh, visit Binghamton University, but I had played a game there for a Region 1 league game uh, the year before, and, and I felt very strongly about the situation at Monmouth, so I ended up not going on the visit to Binghamton. Coach wasn't too thrilled about that. 
Um, <laughs> so I ended up committing to Monmouth and, you know, at SMU, I would have had to sit for at least two years. And what ends up happening is I'm in a better financial situation at, at Monmouth and I start uh, about halfway, I end up being a starter halfway through my freshman season and then start for the rest of my college career. See, this, so, this is kind of not what we want to do to the kids to be like, hey, do do bad in class and now look good things happen. No, 100% do not do this. But at the same time, I got more money and I started playing quicker. <laughs> yeah. But, but that, freshman, that freshman year, I think was your guys' goals against average when you started those games you played, it was like 0. 0.22. Unreal. It, it, I think it's like second all time for the history of the NCAA at the moment. When, when I saw that, I was like, how in the world? That's, that's well, so honestly, few goals. It, it was like, um, you know, there, there were a plethora of reasons why we, we didn't do all that well non-conference. What I had going for me um, was, and you touched on this before, I talk through everything and over communicate and over organize and try to put out fires as much as I can. And the, the goalkeeper that was ahead of me, that was a junior was kind of a, a little bit more athletic than me, a little bit more experienced, but a lot, um, a lot quieter. And you know, that a uh, long story short, I was basically picking grass because the defenders I had in front of me were, I had two juniors that were, fantastic at center back uh and thinking back um uh, in retrospect that back line my uh freshman sophomore year absurd uh, absurd we had uh two pros in it uh the right side of center back yaya was a Ghanaian national team player uh and then we had the left side of center back matt jeffrey was in residency with the u18 national team and then both outside backs went pro Jeez. Yeah, so my freshman and sophomore year, you know, yeah, it's my name, but it's that, that back line. Uh, a goals against average, I would say, is more indicative of, like, a very good team than mm -hmm, just, absolutely. like, an effective goalkeeper, you know? Yeah, that's more maybe save percentage, yeah. which, is also, which is also very high. So don't take that away <laughs> from backs, you. Pass backs. I'm trying to be humble. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, but that's the reality of it, like, it, with a goalkeeper, with defenders, like, you – even if you're really good, you still need good players around you to have good stats. Uh, a, a striker, you can maybe, you know, still get 10, 12 goals a season just by being really good. Obviously, when you get to like that 15 to 17, you have to have good players around you. But you, yeah, can, you, can, get, you can get a dozen goals from just being a talented striker. You need, you need other players around you in those defensive positions. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a team sport, right? At the end of the day, it's a team sport. So uh, my, my freshman and sophomore year were, were fantastic. But those, those stats, like I said, shout out to all my defenders out there. <laughs> yeah, well, a second sophomore year was like eh, kind of bad with like 0.48 goals against. So I kind yeah. of slacking. It, it's also pretty indicative of the style of play that, that, that we played and kind of uh, just um, – you know, our emphasis as a team was to be very strong defensively and kind of hit them on the counter, you know, try to control the game when we could. But we were much more of a team that was going to be be solid, be really good with uh, how we defended and then take our chances when they came. And, and you know, that's how we played. And there's obviously a ceiling to that, you know, but we were very effective in what we did. And we were all really bought in to making that work. And it worked for for uh, a period of time, for sure. 
So um, you need buy-in. That culture was huge uh, during those teams for sure. Yeah, I mean, personally, my philosophy partly with that as a coach is you, no matter what game that I've ever been a part of, you have a chance to score. So if you do your job defensively, you're always going to be able to have a chance Fair. to be in it. Fair. That's, but, that's a very, very good point. But so, yeah, so you have two freshman, sophomore year. Um, you're playing with, with real great guys. Uh, you're playing the whole sophomore year. You guys are getting a lot of accolades. Um, at that point, is professional soccer not just, oh, this is a dream I've had for a while? Does it start to be like, hey, this is maybe a reality that, that can come true? Yeah, there's so obviously, you know, like I said earlier, I, it was always in my head. It was always, how was I going to do this? I want to do this. I'm going to make this happen. Um, but it wasn't really reality yet, right? Like when I'm saying that at 11, 12, 13 years old, there's, there's, no, there's no context to that. There's no basis for me to say that. It's just something that I want, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I, when I describe it to younger players uh, who want to be professionals, you can't you know, you don't wake up one day as a professional, you don't, you're not 15 years old, and then boom, you're a pro. You know, I had to take every uh, task individually. So I get to, let's get to a division one college. Then once I get to a division one college, let's get on the field. Then once I get on the field, let's excel, let's have some longevity. And, and if you take it step by step by step by step, by step, uh, <laughs> you get there eventually, you get there eventually. So yeah, my freshman and sophomore year was fantastic. And I actually, um, I went and trained my sophomore year with two professional teams. Uh, I trained with Sporting Kansas City for uh, about a week and a half with two of my other teammates that, that were on the back line uh, in front of me. And then also trained with the New York Cosmos, um, who were in the NASL at that time, who had Raul at the time. So um, yeah, it started, I started to get a little bit of a taste. I started to you know, have some, some real ideas about whether I could make this happen or not. And, you know, where I kind of stacked up uh, in relations, because when I went into sporting Kansas City, uh, sophomore year, uh, I'm training with Tim Melia and john Kemp and two guys that have been in the league for for an incredible amount of time and, and real, real pros, right. So I have a, a look right there, of, you know, this is where they are, this is where I am, what do I need to improve? How do I get there? And then that kind of evolves because you know, I'm playing uh, PDL at the time with Ocean City Nor'easters, and then I jumped to Red Bull under 23s, and then it just kind of kept um, moving forward, moving forward. And I have to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff at Monmouth for for pushing me in the direction of some of those opportunities. And I've said this a million times. I, I don't think, uh, you know, maybe I do become a pro if I don't go to Monmouth. I think when by going to Monmouth it became so much easier for me to, to become a pro. There were, the network was there. There were guys that, that had been in the league that were from Monmouth. Um, you know, it was do my job, uh, be a good person, work hard, and my opportunities were going to come. Uh, and, and, and they came with, you know, Red Bull under 23s. And then, you know, the momentum from freshman, sophomore, junior year, I, I kind of hit a little bit of a snag. I, I shattered my, my thumb the first game of my senior year, which kind of slowed me down. Brutal. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it evolved straight into, you know, seven plus combine invites to, to, you know, little MLS invite only combines ar around the country. And then I also got a call from, from Everton uh, my senior year, which was, which was crazy. And then, 
kind of just ran with it from there and um yeah yeah with those those four years specifically in university um i think it's interesting with with a goalie um just because i think goalies are so unique of players because of their relationship with their goalie coach like it's a whole different world than field players um and at a lot of universities in the u.s it can be kind of suspect of what the goalkeeping coaching is like and all like some are really good and some are like go kick the ball into the net and we'll call you when we're ready for you um did you find your biggest growth and development was it in during the university time or in the the summer months or a mixture of both uh for you uh definitely a mixture of both i also need to shout out um david acuna camacho just got on the call and david was my right back for those teams at Mammoth. Okay. Uh, shout so out. had to say hi there but um definitely a combination of both i think the the time i spent at, at ocean city and uh, with the red bulls and then the teams i trained with uh throughout the summer were uh very influential to you know um me moving forward as a player but like you said and and this is one of the reasons why i say you know if i don't go to monmouth i don't know if i go pro because alex blackburn my goalkeeper coach made the difference made such a difference for me uh you know youtube um the information sharing was not as huge when i when i was in high school you know for me to um you know, learn about the position uh, as a youth soccer player was a lot more difficult. Uh, so all that to be said, you know, I was 18 years old and diving backwards with no idea that I was doing anything wrong. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, it, it, I got to, to preseason my, my freshman year and Blackburn's like, uh, you know, you, you should be diving forward. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. What do you think? <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. I'm I've pretty sure it works. For a while. I don't know. <laughs> Oh gosh! No, my my goalkeeper coach Blackburn and and, you know he's the first assistant for John Parks now at at Greenville Triumph. So uh, you know the proof is in the pudding there. Uh, And Mammoth has done an incredible job to develop goalkeepers. Uh, You know Blackburn's obviously uh, he was the goalkeeper before me. He's a professional goalkeeper coach. The goalkeeper before him is Brian Meredith, who won an MLS Cup with Seattle Sounders. The goalkeeper after me, Bobby Edwards, just signed with FC Cincinnati. So they are doing something right. <laughs> they're having some success with it. Yeah, decent amount of success. So I would say, you know, 100% a combination of, of both the environments that I was in uh, outside of Mammoth were integral to me becoming a pro. But also, you know, obviously, I spent the majority of my time at Mammoth and uh, working with Blackburn, working with the rest of our coaching staff, um, very integrated in our sessions. Uh, and Blackburn was, you know, a young, eager coach that that wanted to get better. And I was a, a young, eager goalkeeper that wanted to get better. So, you know, we made some mistakes along the way. And uh, it's funny, we actually, every now and again, we'll get on uh, a Zoom call or, or a call in general. And, you know, because we, we play each other throughout the season. Uh, and we were like, wow, I can't believe we were doing that. We were so wrong. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> and it's funny to have that kind of, uh, you know, that discussion, just uh, thinking retrospectively. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you do well in university, you're getting combines, um, that type of thing. You're training with Everton, um, talking through then the process of becoming a professional. Um, so 
that kind of, you know, that window from my college season ends to getting drafted was... Now, wait, were you, were you graduated in December? I was not. But <laughs> the idea, and this is a theme in my life, uh, you know, I, I'm always doing a lot. So the idea was I'm going to graduate early and I'm going to go pro. So, <laughs> so uh, David, who's right, painting with Lukaku and Ross Barkley. So I have, I have a, a Ross Barkley story that maybe we could get to uh, later. But um, yeah, David was in England at the same time with me because he was studying uh, at the University of Nottingham getting his master's. Um, but that window was, was a whirlwind, like I said. Um, you know, I, I had a good amount of, of combine invites. I ended up going to the Toronto FC combine. So yeah, I ended up here. <laughs> I ended up going to the Toronto FC combine. Um, straight from there, that's like the first week. So academically, another mess. <laughs> another mess because uh, I had combines the entire month of December. So this took so much schmoozing of my professors to be like, guys, I'm going to be gone for like the last two or three weeks of of the semester. Can I take my finals like early? And luckily, uh, I had a decent relationship with most of my professors. So I was able to figure that out. But in terms of not being graduated, I had four credits left. I only had four. Uh, so I ended up doing an internship uh, in the communications department with DC United while I was a rookie at DC. Uh, and then I also did an independent study at the same time and ended up graduating about a year later, but it was always something I, that I was going to finish. So that December, I go Toronto FC Combine. From Toronto, I fly back to New Jersey for a day or two. Then I fly out to Vegas for the Seattle Sounders, uh, Columbus Crew, Orlando City Combine. Uh, I'm there for like three or four days. I come back and then I fly straight to Liverpool. My, uh, my trial with Everton was December 15th, provisionally to the 22nd. Jeez. And they come back, uh, Everton does a few days after, uh, a few days after I get there and they call my agent and they're like, we wanna keep him longer. We don't know how much longer we wanna keep him, but we're gonna keep him indefinitely. And I was like, this is crazy. And I, and I tell this story, um, but, you know, when I told my mom and my parents that, you know, my dad played basketball in college and my, the rest of my family is not incredibly into, into sports, really, my immediate family, at least. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Everton. This is going to be insane. And they're like, what? Who, what is Everton? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't even want to talk to you guys. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they come back um, probably like that. 18th or 19th they're like yeah we're gonna keep him we're gonna keep him indefinitely for the time being and i'm like that's fantastic so i'm training with the everton under 23s for for the most part uh and then liverpool plays everton uh on like boxing day or the day before uh christmas something like that and stecklenburg gets hurt in the game so they need uh, a third goalie in training for the, ne for the next day. And <laughs> so it, I, I'm walking out and it's like, <laughs> yeah, so David, I'm getting, I'm getting to that part. <laughs> so uh, I get called into first team training for 
a day uh, and I'm walking out to training and we're doing this exercise. Um, obviously it's the day after a game, so it's not like a really heavy exercise, but, or a heavy training session, but the guys that didn't play um, need to get, you know, some playing in. So we're doing small sided with, you know, I think my team was like Del Feu, Jagielka and Kevin Morales or something. I'm just like, <laughs> who am I right now? Which, no disrespect to your college <laughs> teammates, but it's a different level. <laughs> it's, it's a different level for sure. But before we were playing small sided, we did an exercise that we actually did, at, we do at Mammoth uh, pretty often. Um, everybody's around the center circle and there's three people in the middle. Uh, and you're basically just playing keep away, it's a start. Uh, so I got Ross Barkley on my right. Uh, I got uh, Lukaku on my left. <laughs> and I get a ball from the right side. I, I don't know who played me the ball, but it's like, I think Jagielk is in the middle. Um, Aaron Lennon's in the middle. Uh, and maybe like Seamus Coleman. And I get a ball from my right and I, and I one time the pass and I split the gap and it makes it through to the other side. And Ross Barkley's like, good job, lad. And I was just like, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. And I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to go home. I'll see you guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, so things continue. Um, it, it's all going well. And, and we had an off day. Um, we had, we had an off day and David and I, so uh, <laughs> it was on the call right now. We're, we're walking downtown um, between uh, Everton and Anfield. So we're, we're hanging out and I get a call from my agent and he's like, Eric, you did it. They want to sign you. And David just starts punching me. He's like, what's going on? What is he saying? Like, what? <laughs> what? And we're like in the middle of the road in, in like Liverpool right now. And, you know, both of us are just mind blown that this is happening right now. Um, so fast forward, obviously I don't end up signing for Everton. <laughs> it's, it's pretty hard to get a worker's permit in, in a country the size of England without having played for the national team. Um, and I stay at Everton. Uh, this kind of all fizzles out or, or comes uh, to light around January 3rd, January 4th. And the MLS combine is January 5th. <laughs> so I find out that I'm not going to be able to sign uh, for Everton. It was going to be, a, a, you know, a, a very small under 23s uh, contract. I was going to be like the three for the under 23s, but I could care less. Uh, yeah, still incredible. <laughs> it was like, I don't care. Sign me. I'll, I'll be the happiest guy in the world. It was going to be like a six month contract, but it was, you know, deflating yes when I found out that I wasn't going to be able to sign but it all comes about um, at a very interesting time right because I'm in Liverpool and the MLS Combine is in Manhattan Beach uh, California like in 48 hours so uh, I need to find a flight and, and I wasn't expecting to be going you know in general so I didn't have a flight and the MLS only covers uh, only covers flights domestically. So I needed to find a flight and thank God my mom uh, paid for that flight um, just like on a whim. And it was like, I think it was like 1200 bucks or something. Um, so the only flight I could find was from Manchester to Lisbon and Lisbon to Philadelphia. The only catch was there was a 19 hour layover in Lisbon. So from the third to the fourth, I was sleeping in like uh, a, an airport restaurant 
uh, overnight for 19 oh my hours. Goodness. Uh, and then flew to Philadelphia from Lisbon. Uh, so I land the morning of the 4th um, at Combines on the 5th. Morning of the 4th in Philadelphia. Mom lived about an hour or so from the Philadelphia airport in New Jersey. Uh, she picks me up from Philadelphia. We drive back to North Jersey where she was living at the time. I sleep for like four or five hours, drive back to the Philadelphia airport and fly to Manhattan Beach. And the next day I was flying in the combine. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's just setting yourself up for success, you know, with yeah, all that time and, zone, and, sleeping in a restaurant in Lisbon the day before. Yeah, I, so I, I did not have a good combine. Um, thinking back, I probably should not, I probably should have missed the first couple of days uh just purely from like a time change perspective yeah like from liverpool to uh california was that like an eight hour difference something like that yeah it's one thing to go like new york or something but to go yeah. all the way to cali that's yeah, yeah so it was like, we were playing games at like two or three o'clock uh during the day and it felt like nine ten o'clock at night to me you know um so i did not have a very good combine and, and it's it's sad because I, I was projected super high. Um, so I'll give you uh, for a lot of people, uh, for, for those that, that have signed like, or have been around the combine or signed a senior deal. So I, the guys who sign a senior deal uh, before the MLS combine or before the MLS draft starts, uh, there's a little clause uh, in it that if you get drafted in the top 15, you get like a $15,000 signing bonus, something like okay. that. So I was projected to be like 11. I went 34 <laughs> or 32 or something like that. And uh, I remember having a discussion with um, one of my teammates at DC that got drafted ahead of me. And it was like, you know, like a year on and we were talking about this. And I was like, wait, you got drafted like nine. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, you signed your senior deal beforehand. He's like, yeah. And I was just like, you got that, didn't you? He's like, I got that. <laughs> And I was like, ah, oh, come on, man. Uh, but did but, you ping pause with Ross Barkley, you know? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, whatever it's worth to you. Uh, but yeah, uh, a wild, a wild experience. And there's probably bits and pieces that, that I'm missing in there. Oh, that, there's a good part that you'll probably find. Being in, uh, in Europe, uh, I'd never been in a hotel room that you needed the key to be in the door for the light. And I was just living in darkness for like the first two days because I had no idea how to turn the lights on. <laughs> so there was, oh, it was great, a great learning experience. Uh, yeah, it, somehow I, I get myself into these situations. Um, and, you know, just kind of take it in stride and learn from it and, and keep it moving. I'm seeing a theme here. Yeah. yeah. Theme. yeah. Um, so you get, you get drafted by DC United, um, obviously a goal that you had from a young age is now um, partly reached. Obviously, you still need to get that contract. Um, what's it like then going into training with DC United? Um, I think I, you know, I don't know if I was I was ready. Yeah, you know, um, psychologically, I didn't know if I was ready. Uh, and I was, you know, uh, Another thing that I talked to uh, about with, with young kids, um, you know, when you're when you're a youth soccer player, 
you know, whatever's going on in the outside, uh, you know, studying for a test, fight with your parents, whatever it is. Um, soccer is kind of that escape for that hour and a half, whatever. Flip it on its head. Now you're a pro. Now, whether you can pay your bills, whether you, you know, are successful in a lot of ways, in a lot of people's minds, um, it's based on that hour and a half. And that came with a lot of stress for me because, you know, I, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be successful. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I was not, but it was, it was a very good learning experience. Again, I, so I get to DC and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons uh, I could go into as to why I wasn't uh, successful in DC. I ended up uh, tearing my meniscus twice uh, in training uh, throughout my rookie year. And it's just kind of a, an injury riddled year really where it's, you know, rehab, um, get back to training, sit on the bench. Um, and, and, you know, I think I played, I played one game. I made my debut at Richmond, um, tore my meniscus and, you know, came back, uh, trained for a few months, um, backed up Travis, backed up Bill or Steve Clark um, at times, tore my meniscus again. And, and it was just kind of an up and down. And, you know, I don't know how ready I was for that kind of, you know, ebb and flow of professional soccer career. And it's taken me um, a few years, I would say, to really feel like I'm, I'm really starting to get better and really starting to excel because, you know, I, I wouldn't say that the hardest part about um, professional soccer is going pro. I think it's excelling as a professional. That is the most difficult. Uh, and, I, and I'm in a place now with, with TFC where I feel really confident and I feel like I'm uh, in, in a very good culture of excellence with some, some really good coaches and uh, I feel like I'm moving forward. So uh, DC was tough, but like I said, another learning experience that, that I wouldn't change. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously like every, every player that becomes a professional was the best where they were. And so translated across like their life story up until professional soccer, most likely they were starting and being a star wherever they went. Yep. And then now you have injuries, you're not starting. Um, you know, you, you start, the self-doubt comes very quickly because it's things that oftentimes until you get to professional soccer, a lot of players don't deal with. And so it's mentally, it's difficult as well as, as you touched on it's you know, now this is how you put food on your table. And so the, the level of seriousness of the guys is much different than, half the college team that knows they're not going to go professionally and are just doing this as a fun thing, maybe to pay for part of college and have some good memories yeah. before they head out into the working world. Well, something I, I talk about a lot is, you know, we often intertwine our sport with our identity. Uh, and when you start to get punched in the face at a professional level, you know, I go pro, I'm like, great. Now I'm Eric Konofsky, the professional soccer player. Fantastic. How good am I going to get now that I'm just a professional? But then you get hit with an injury, then you're not playing, uh, then you're out for a bit, and you're like, who is Eric Klonofsky? You know, there's got to be more to me than professional soccer. Uh, so that, that was a really hard realization, and, and I needed to figure out who I was outside of the game. And I, you know, I went to Israel, did a lot of uh, learning over there, and you know, there's a million stories we could talk about. Yeah, how, how did you end up going there? Obviously, DC uh, decides not to renew the contract, um, so it leaves you a free agent. How then do you decide Israel's the play? 
<laughs> I know. I, I should write a book, honestly. I, I don't know what the book would be about. It would just be like maybe a, a sequel to a series of unfortunate events. Uh, <laughs> but who, who is Eric? That's the name <laughs> of the book. So um, halfway through my rookie year, I get a call from a guy named Itamar Kanan, uh, who's an Israeli agent who's based out of Texas. Um, and he got my contact information from one of my teammates. And he reaches out and, and very quickly uh, in the call, he goes, hey, Eric, how's it going? Uh, are you Jewish? And, <laughs> and I was like, I mean, depends who you, who you ask. My dad's Jewish. Uh, and he's like, oh, well, I think I might have an opportunity for you if you're interested. And he goes on to explain how there, there's a chance I could get an Israeli passport based on my, my Jewish blood. And um, we stay in contact. And, you know, I'm a guy that tries to push the envelope, put myself into uncomfortable situations, however um, conscious or subconsciously I'm doing so. Um, but, you know, I was like, I'm young. I, did, I played one game my, my rookie year. Um, I want to do this. I want to go. I want to, you know, go play games. I don't care if it's lower division. I'm going to do it. I know it's going to be tough. We'll go figure it out and I'm going to make the best of it and, and do my best to adapt. Uh, so I come back from the knee injury uh, my second year, and turns out uh, there was a club in Israel that, that was interested. And we so I, I wasn't going to be able to sign or, or start the season until July of my second year, because that's just when the European uh, right. season starts, obviously. Um, and I was rehabbing because I had a meniscal repair um, towards the end of the year. So I was rehabbing for about five, six months. So I come back late April, early May. I signed like a one month contract with Richmond Kickers, who uh, I, I was close with the, with the goalkeeper coach there. I still am. Uh, and he was like, hey, we need one. Uh, you're getting ready for Israel. Maybe we can work together and you can buy us some time and you can get ready. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. That works. So I signed a one month contract with the Richmond Kickers with the idea to, to hop over to Israel uh, come July 1st. That happens and, you know, uh, I get over, sort the passport out and, and things, uh, things start off pretty well. Uh, we ended up going to like the, the finals of, of the League Cup. We, we actually, uh, it's like a preseason tournament, it's called the Toto Cup. It's, uh, we end up going to the finals, started really well. Uh, we ended up winning like 50,000 shekels uh, for the club, which is like $20,000 US, something like that. The, the players don't get a dollar of that, which I'm still kind of salty about. Of course um, <laughs> So, um, but from there, we really struggled in season. And, and I was on one of the, this, a recently promoted club from third division into the second division. And, uh, you know, we, we struggled for, for the first half of the season. And I, I did okay, you know, I didn't do great, um, but TFC was, was monitoring me and there were, there were so many uh, ups and downs within uh, my, my trip over, in is, or my time over in Israel. Uh, so TFC reaches out and they're like, hey, uh, we've been watching, are you interested in making a move in January? And like a week before, my goalkeeper coach had called me at like nine o'clock at night and we were like an hour and a half north of like uh, where the Gaza Strip was. So he was like, hey, keep your window open because um, Gaza might be sending rockets tonight and you need to be able to hear the, the alarm, the, the alarm for you to go down to your 
to your bomb shelter. And I was just like, I don't think my apartment building has a bomb shelter. <laughs> so um, like that's going on like a few days earlier that that happens. And then John Conway texts me from, from Toronto FC. He's like, Hey, are you interested in making a move? And like for negotiation sake, I was just like, I don't know, games, money, all these kinds of things. And I was, I was packing my, bag while I was on the phone. Uh, <laughs> so I ended up transferring to TFC and, and it's been a great move. And uh, yeah, so that was, that's a condensed version of my time in Israel. Wild. So you've been Everton to DC to Richmond, to Israel, oh, and now yeah. Canada. Yes. Very traveled. Very I mean, different cultures. Yeah. Why not? Come on. Finland's a chill place. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I watched, um, what was it, your uh, Day in the Life blog on YouTube. And I was yes. like, that seems like a really decent life. Like the, the grocery store is like right across the street. It's a, I'll say it's a very like simple life in some yeah. aspects. That's really nice. So my grocery store in Israel, I lived in, a, it was a small city in Israel called Rehobo, uh, like 30, 40 minutes south uh, of Tel Aviv. But my grocery store was like a mile or so from my apartment. And I didn't have a car. And everybody drives like those little electric, uh, electric bikes. Mm -hmm. So I had like my backpack, I had my electric bike, just, you know, six foot six white guy going down the street in Israel, just stacked with food on his back. Uh, it was, you got the eggs in one hand, trying not to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was, I had a lot of, when I saw that the grocery store was across the street, I was like, he's doing great. Uh, <laughs> I used to not live so close and that was terrible. Yeah. To try to yeah figure it it's, out it's so. tough. and it's something you don't really think about what's up cody How you doing, oh, so yeah speaking speaking of cody yeah on. <laughs> his, ears what a legend. his ears were burning uh, <laughs> but, but yeah it's something you don't really think about it's something you don't really think about but there, there's so much stuff um you know culturally that that was different that i had to adapt to um i don't i don't smoke at all and smoking cigarettes over there is so common uh, so like our, our athletic trainer would smoke cigarettes while we were on the field and like he'd be standing like right next to the field and I'd be catching volleys and, and smelling cigarettes and I'm just like, hold on, I got a cough coach. Let me <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was, uh, like I said, I, I needed to adapt and, and we touched on a little bit before how that kind of shift from, from youth soccer to, to professional, like uh, there's a lot of things you need to uh, adapt to and, and something I, I'm a huge proponent of um, is uh, you know if, if we have a guy that is particularly talented like TFC Academy for example let's find him alone like in a small place in Europe let's see what he's made of you know what I mean because because if he can't handle the stress and be able to adapt it's going to be a lot harder for him to, to reach a higher level you know what I mean 100% 100% so I think yeah I think that's something that I really value um, that being said, you know, Israel wasn't the most successful on field, but I felt like it grew a lot psychologically, you know? Yeah. And I think too, like, especially going to a different culture, like you as a, as a person grow a lot because it's a different worldview you see and different experiences, obviously having your window open to hear the sirens for bombs, not something <laughs> in Toronto that you usually have to deal with. Yes, so I think exactly. just like as a, as a human being, those experiences are really good. Um, I'm over in Finland in a town called Kristinastad. So it's very quiet here. More like maybe a small town in Canada would be. 
Yeah, um, I don't know. This is a this is a pretty big city, but it, you know, it changes your perspective. It makes you thankful. Like mm -hmm. I, I, coming from so in Israel, uh, every two or three days we ran out of water to shower with. I have like pictures of guys. You know, we didn't have ice for like four or five months during the season. Uh, <laughs> it was like some absurd stuff. But you know, adversity makes you stronger. But TFC, uh, the training ground, and I'm like gesturing that way because I can see it from my apartment building. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we're, it's an embarrassment of riches at, at TFC with what we have resource wise. And I just wish uh, more people had that kind of perspective of like, oh my God, like what, what a blessing it is to, to have this, you know, because that's not the case everywhere. So, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, especially like in lower divisions in Europe, it's nothing like what people I think glamorize it sometimes as. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean there there is glamour there, and there's there's yeah. a lot of pride, there's a lot of growth in it. Um, but there's a lot of stuff you got to fight through and you got to grind through if you're going to be successful. Hundred percent, hundred percent. What would you? Obviously, you you've had different experiences, but. Um, hopefully you still have a lot of years in your career. Hopefully, you, you know, you're at the beginning of it more than the end. What yeah. though, looking back to 15 year old, you, uh, about to catch that senioritis in school, but <laughs> soccer specific, what would be the, uh, um, the biggest piece of advice you would give yourself? Um, you know, I think maybe my advice should be a little bit different thinking back to, uh, what I went through uh, growing up, but let go of perfectionism. Uh, I think I was so stressed. I was so stressed, stressed with like everything that I felt was, when it went wrong. I was like, oh my God, this is so bad. It's going wrong. This isn't great. Like why, why is this happening? But I was so naive to the fact that we're all going to experience adversity, you know, and, and I wasn't prepared to experience that adversity. And luckily I had the mentality and the wherewithal to be like, all right. And, and I, and I praise my parents a lot for that. I'm like, all right, you know, shit's hitting the fan. We have, we have two reactions that we could possibly do. We can let it destroy you or you can grow from it. Uh, and I just wish I was more prepared, maybe not prepared, but, but um, you know, welcoming of adversity and, and not so uh, hard on myself in terms of, you know, if something didn't go perfect or something wasn't exactly how I thought it should have been, uh, you know, I think that stressed me out, you know, where, you know, I was like, oh, I, I need to do this to get better. I need to do this to get better. What I needed to do to get better was go through adversity and grow from it and learn from it. Uh, and I felt like if I had that, just, you know, it's not going to be perfect. We're all going to experience obstacles. How do you respond to those obstacles? And, and that's what I would say to 15-year-old Eric Klonofsky, um, you know, let go of perfectionism, uh, welcome adversity. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's as an older player now you realize oh, you're gonna go through adversity and it's more of how you respond to it and the unfortunate aspect of life and playing is those moments are what make you the player you are so you need them to become successful which is 100%, unfortunate 100%. thing when you want perfection yes but you know it's not possible and, and those those times of uh, adversity really question your identity. You know, if you're, if you know who you are and, and what you want out of life and, and what your why is, uh, when you hit those road bumps and you, when you're really passionate about what you do, it's going to be so much easier for you to overcome them. Absolutely. Uh, you touched on that 
you are possibly interested in coaching in the future. Um, are you interested in goalkeeper coaching or team coaching? What, uh, what, what fancy you? So I think in order to be an effective goalkeeper coach, you need to be a team coach first because you need to understand uh, the importance, uh, especially in 2020, you need to understand how the goalkeeper relates to, you know, building out attacking wise and defensively. So uh, I'm super passionate about goalkeeper coaching, but I'm not naive to the fact that, um, you know, in order to be an effective goalkeeper coach, you need to be a good team coach as well. Um, So specialty goalkeeper coaching, but um, very much so uh, passionate about the game in general. So when I uh, was rehabbing from my second knee surgery, I was a volunteer assistant for Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey, which was a great experience for me. And I would say one of the, the points where I was like, you know, before that, I did coaching casually, like, okay, maybe I could do this on the side with whatever I did and um, with journalism on the side, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, but having that experience, I was working with a great Seth, Seth Rowan. Um, and, and that really opened my eyes to say, you know, this is not something that uh, maybe I'm going to do. This is what I want to do now. And this is a big part of me. And now, uh, since that time period, I've put so much effort into, you know, growing myself uh, in the game and outside of the game. Uh, Help me come to the game with a lot more clarity uh, when I know that uh, my whole life and identity isn't based on that hour and a half every day. Um, so, yeah, no, um, both. That's a long-winded answer to say both. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, for you – Goalkeeper specifically with in regards to a goalkeeper coach, what's the, for you as a player, what's the most important thing that that goalkeeper coach um, has, whether that's, you know, whatever that is, what's the number one thing that a goalkeeper coach to you has to have with you? Compassion. Um, Compassion and um, uh, respect of perspectives, I would say. So, you know, the game is, is ever evolving and, uh, you know, goalkeeper coaching is so different than team coaching because this is, you know, I'm, there's, there's a personable relationship there and it, it's one of the only positions that has, you know, its own specific coach. So uh, one of the biggest things is being adaptable as a coach. Uh, see you, David. Thanks for coming on, brother. Um, you have to be adaptable as a coach because I'm the goalkeeper that I'm, I'm, you know, training at TFC now, um, you know, uh, working with, uh, Alex Bono and Quentin Westberg and, uh, Caleb last year and, and Kevin and, and Jan, all the goalkeepers, um, actually one of our goalkeepers from TFC two now is over in Finland. Uh, but the goalkeeper coaches that I'm around, um, they understand that, you know, I'm not the same goalkeeper as Quentin. I'm not, you know, Alex Bono is not the same goalkeeper as Quentin Westberg. Quentin's not the same goalkeeper as me. And to understand that, you know, what makes me tick and what's going to make me successful might not be the same thing. Uh, that, that is so important. Um, the times where I felt I've, I've uh, grown the least as, as a goalkeeper and, and not been as successful are the times when I felt a goalkeeper coach is not adapting to me and I'm trying to adapt to them. I don't know why it does that. I apologize. Instagram cuts it off at one hour. And I don't, no, even, it's all good. You know, don't they think yeah, I'll have no. something better to do than restart? The- 
Yeah, Instagram I, I had to change locations because my phone was dying. I hope that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with it. We might get com some complaints from people that were really into the background, but <laughs> so go. Sorry, we interrupted you. You were talking about uh, your goalkeeper coaches and all, and different you being different players than than other yeah. goalkeepers. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest parts uh, of uh, being an effective goalkeeper coach is understanding that. You know, every goalkeeper that you deal with is going to process things differently. They're all going to have, you know, there's basic principles that you need to uphold. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, things about the game that are going to remain the same, obviously. Uh, but we're all different, you know, and being adaptable to to different people. One of the, one of the things that I, I really commend our, our goalkeeper coaches at, at TFC, uh, John and Phil, is, you know, they put uh, individual development plans together for all of us, you know, based on what we feel we need to get better, what they think we need to get better. And there's a plan, you know what I mean? Uh, and I think doing things like that, not leaving our growth up to randomness, but making it really specific to us um, can make a huge difference. Um, and, and I'm thankful for, for the guys over there that have, that have, you know, opened my eyes to that. Absolutely. Um, for you as a player, uh, since let's just say from college your senior year to now as a professional, um, what's been your your biggest growth as a goalie? Thank you, man's game, man. I think I, I've learned so much over the last few years. I think I'm going to use this word again. I've overused it probably, but I, I was relatively naive as as a senior in college, thinking you know. And, and Blackburn and I both we talked about it. Um, you know, there were times where we would ignore things that, that maybe we knew were wrong. And, it's, you know, <laughs> I don't know if anything is technically wrong, if it's effective, but that's a whole other argument we'll get into. Um, but there were things that, that we ignored at times that, that I would do because we were comparing me to the goalkeepers in my conference or, you know, the goalkeepers in, in my conference were, were amazing. Uh, one of the guys that I, I competed with constantly was Matt Turner, who is now the starter for New England Revolution. So, uh, but, but we would compare, you know, uh, compare me to other goalkeepers that I was training with, um, maybe, or uh, the goalkeepers that, that, that we were closest to. Uh, and we were winning. So we ignored some things about like, maybe a, a big jump set or like being too wide or um, you know, I was good at taking crosses for the level that I was at, but maybe if we actually were thinking a little bit more critically about how I went about it, I could have been more effective and, and um, continued to grow, but we were winning, right? So when, when you're winning, you kind of want to stay out of the way, but at the same time, try, try and uh, still make those, those corrections. But uh, yeah, I think between the ears is probably where I've grown the most from, from senior. And, and that's why you see, you know, a guy like Buffon uh, play for so long because, you know, the goalkeepers that play until they're 35, 40 years old are not the guys that, that have been excelling because, you know, they're insanely athletic. Buffon is not some, uh, from my perspective, some athletic genius here. I, I think, you know, he's smart about how he plays, the positions he takes up, um, how he goes about reading the game, you know, and, and that's why I say it's a thinking man game, thinking man's game, because, you know, as goalkeepers get older, uh, it, it's a very uh, thought based position, not to say that any other position isn't, but um, you can excel more uh, if you're a thinker, I would say, uh, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, there's some 
reaction saves that goalkeepers are just going to have because of that. But most saves and most saves you should make are usually based on putting yourself in the position you should be before yeah. the ball yeah. shot. Yeah, so I so. mean, that, that, goes to, that goes to, you know, making a really great reaction save. Maybe you give yourself a better chance if you've seen that save before and you take up a different position or, or a different type of set position or uh, you maybe you're a little deeper in your goal. There's, there's so many variables. Um, that's why I'm very hesitant to say, you know, I was doing something wrong uh, because, mm -hmm. you know, effective is effective. But, yeah, you know, um, there, there's so many ways we could take that. But, but yeah, I think goalkeepers definitely age uh, if they're thinkers uh, in, in a good way, you know. 100%. What to you is your favorite, um, like, uh, thing to do in goal? Is it coming out winning a cross in the air? Is it saving a penalty? Is it, you know, free kick save? What, what to you, what, what type of thing in goal gives you the most, uh, the most joy? Um, there, there's so many things that I, I would say, you know, you can only choose yeah. one. Yeah, I can only choose one. Um, <laughs> I would say the complexity of the position. I really enjoy breaking down the complexities of the position. Um, that's pretty broad, I know. Um, so I would say my favorite thing um, is leading. Uh, I think goalkeeping in general, uh, naturally based on the position, is a leadership role. And that's something I really uh, enjoy thinking about, you know, how I need to interact with so-and-so to get them to work for me or how I need to um, talk to another guy because he absorbs information differently. And, and I think just being in a leadership role in general is, is one of the things I enjoy the most. I was hoping you were going to say just screaming at your center backs or something. <laughs> that, I said that in a politically correct kind of way. Just, just yelling at them, step up, step up. <laughs> yeah, expletive, expletive. That, I think because I played center back and that was like the most frustrating thing is like, You've been you've been running like crazy. It's like eighty fifth minute goalie just sitting in the box yelling at you to step up. Yeah, or like when you've been defending for the past twenty minutes and then he catches a cross, but now he's trying to think about this nice side volley he can hit, and you're just like, we've been defending for so long, don't hit that thing. I'm exhausted, <laughs> and I'm like, but it's on. Just hold it. Just hold it. <laughs> just hold the damn ball, please. <laughs> oh gosh. Um. For you with penalties, and not to take any secrets or anything, do you do you try to read where they're going? Do you pick a side and go for it? What's your um, what's your thought process on it? There, there's some uh, try to sneak kind of, forward like, as far as possible. Guessing. You know, it's it's educated guessing for sure. Um, so. Obviously, uh, there's a little bit of percentages. That, I mean, if we have a scout that goes into it, some days you're not going to have a scout. Um, so I would say it's a combination of playing percentages, but also there's a gut feeling kind of thing involved where, you know, this guy doesn't seem comfortable uh, closing his hips. This guy doesn't seem or maybe he seems a little bit more uh, thoughtful, a little bit more creative. Maybe I'm going to wait a little bit longer. Um, this guy, you know, uh, he's a lefty and more often than not, he's going to go in a certain direction based on percentages. So, you know, have that gut feeling, but also keep in mind that chances are he's going to go in this area, you know? So it's kind of like 
Uh, and that's one of the, you know, it's a, it's a microcosm of the complexity that is goalkeeping, but there's such a mind game that goes on with penalty kicks that uh, there's so many things that you can think about and directions you can take it in. Um, so yeah, I would say it, at the end of the day, it's educated guessing. Um, but uh, yeah, can't give away too many secrets, I'd say. <laughs> now, when I was in university, our assistant coach was really good at reading where a player was going to go. Yeah. So before he kicked it, he would literally just point one way or another, and the goalie would dive. And oh, that, that year, I think we were three or four on save. And that coach now is the assistant for San Diego Loyal. So apparently he had something going for him. But I yeah. remember, I was thinking, Jeez. this is wild. You're just having him point no. way to go. <laughs> Maybe I need to talk to that guy. I, no, I do, I do okay with, with penalty kicks. I only faced – uh, one last season and I saved it, but they finished the rebound. So basically not a save. Uh, <laughs> when I was in, when I was in Israel, so part of the, you know, complexities that, that happened in Israel, um, we had like six penalties in the first month, like the first 10 games, there were like six pens and <laughs> I went the right way on like four of them, I think, and saved two. So I was like two of six. So I mean, okay, nothing great. Um, but yeah, um, maybe I need to talk to the San Diego Low guy. <laughs> I don't know if the magic's still there or not, but it was for that <laughs> one season at least. Uh, maybe he took off some some lucky gloves or something. <laughs> now, now when you make you make a save, what what is your reaction? Some some goalies will go and get water, maybe grab a glove or like a towel. Some just like scream in the air, some scream at their center back, some like fist pump it. What's kind of your go-to move after a nice save? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, depends on the situation. Obviously, it depends on the situation if I'm going to take my sweet time or not, if I've held the ball or not. But I like a, a, a real favorite of mine is the, you know, nonsensical directionless screaming afterwards uh, <laughs> relatively similar to like a goal celebration. It, like I said, it depends uh how important the save was the time of the game uh things like that if it's a really big moment um similar to you know steve clark actually uh he loves the celebration i don't know if you know who steve clark is mm -hmm. uh goalkeeper for portland timbers but yeah he loves the celebration and, and i really adopted a little bit of that um so you know i i don't quite do the hands in the air jumping and stuff um but no, I, I, I have a nice nonsensical uh, scream at times for sure. But also if there's like a really clear error that like somebody did something, then, you know, I have to be a little bit more thoughtful uh, about it and actually communicate something of worth. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it depends on the situation for sure. I like it. Obviously, you were talking about you're a big communicator, big leader from the back. Uh, what was that like then in Israel with language barrier at all an issue? Yes, 100%. I knew zero Hebrew when I went over to Israel. Uh, I would say it took me about uh, maybe a month or two before I could communicate um, probably like 80 to 90% of the things I needed to communicate on, on the field. Um, left, right, forward, back, man on, time, all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, there was a time where I could count up to like 200 in Hebrew. Uh, so... That was important for the game. Uh, that was, Yeah, that was super important for the game. But, um, no, uh, I, the, the issue with me not speaking Hebrew and trying to speak quickly is there's a lot of um, 
what's that? There's a lot of chaz in the middle of words. And when I'm not accustomed to speaking um, uh, the language, uh, there, there's, there was a guy on my team named Borchal, and in the, it's in the middle of his name, so he's my left back. And I remember there was a time where I'm like trying to give him information, and I usually say a name after the information, um, and I had to say it really quick, uh, and I got stuck on the ha. <laughs> and like I, I was yelling, and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I really hope no one heard that. Uh, but yeah, it, it was interesting. It was interesting for sure. But it was it was it was a nice challenge. It was it was difficult at times. But at the same time, I would say, you know, 30% of the team was probably fluent in English, probably 50% knew um, some English, and then probably half the team didn't know any, you know, but it was, it was rare that a guy like didn't know any English, I'd say. Uh, so for the most part, I had but, but at the same time, thinking about like how they're absorbing information, you know, if I can say it in Hebrew, I can say it that much faster and give them maybe just a little bit less to think of, you know, because, you know, speaking from from my perspective, uh, you know, you could say a Spanish word to me, but then I'm going to match it to an English word because I'm not thinking in Spanish. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So if I can give the information in Hebrew, then I, maybe I save them a half second uh, thought. Uh, you know, just give them an extra second of thought if I can. So that was that was definitely an, an interesting uh, little bit of uh, a task for me to get through. Yeah, that's what I think for, for my team, what's really interesting is we have English, Swedish, Finnish, um, and then Ukrainian, all like being thrown around, a little bit of Bosnian, like, so it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And that's why I'm impressed what you said is like the, you hear the word in Spanish and then you have to associate it to the English word. And yet yeah. they're able to like hear one language and communicate in another language and think of each one in it. Yeah. It's yeah. Real. It's incredibly difficult, but, um, you know, that's, that's one of the great parts about living overseas is that's, you know, that's another perspective. That's another, uh, you know, part of it that you're going to get better because of, you know. Absolutely. Uh, here's a question for you. I have a 16-year-old keeper starting the very stressful recruiting process. During these strange times, it's difficult. What are your thoughts on going to play in Europe versus college? Uh, I think that is a very... Um, situation by situation, individual thing. I don't think there's one answer for that where, um, you know, based on this, this and this, uh, he or she should go to, to college or, or, or go to, to Europe. I think it's very important who this person is. Uh, it's very important what they want, what they're trying to get out of the game. I think in general, um, you know, you need to find a certain level of adversity that they can deal with, but at the same time, one that they can still be successful with through perseverance. So, you know, for some people, maybe that's going to be going to Europe. Maybe they're ready to go to Europe. Um, you know, is for 16 years old, is the educational component still there? We just talked about how difficult it is um, as a professional athlete psychologically um, when your identity gets hit and, um, you know, soccer is not going to last forever. So who are you when that day comes? I think, making sure that continuing the education process, whether it's in college or uh, in Europe is very important. Um, and, and, and that in the same token, uh, wherever they do go, are there games for them to get, right? Because especially as a goalkeeper, you need to be getting games uh, consistently to kind of, you know, be at your best and start to grow. And, you know, that, that's not to say that you, that you need to be the starter always, because sometimes it's important to be the two. Um, but what I would say is 
you need to experience adversity, find the right level of adversity based on the person and, and do your research about where you're going. I wouldn't just go to any, uh, any club in Finland, you know, I'd probably go to, to Matt's club, you know, if I had a decision, <laughs> if I was you, I would say, you know, who are the coaches? Who am I putting my, uh, who is going to be mentoring my child, uh, doing these, during these very formative years, you know, what kind of environment am I putting them in? Uh, these are all things that you need to be considering when, uh, you're going through this process. What I would say, like I said before, is let go of perfectionism. Uh, welcome the adversity because whether you go to college or overseas, you're going to experience adversity and, and who are you when that day comes? Um, so a, a lot of things to break down there, but I would ask the people closest to you, uh, the coaches closest to you, uh, what their opinion on whether they go to college or overseas to Europe for sure. Yeah, and my two cents, I don't care know if they care or not, but I'll give it anyway. <laughs> um, I mean, it is it is player, um, every player is different in those situations, but it, I would say be, be very careful with the Europe. Um, there's a lot of people that will tell you things and promise you things, and um, seems to be it's not as uh maybe regulated as the u.s with things of of players not getting what promised by clubs so definitely do the research of yeah. of what club that is and what other players that have gone there as they've experienced but also as you said i think the other thing i go i go back and forth on it and some because uh, i think you know for some europe is the right choice but as you said too like there's a lot of life after after football, um, as well as you don't know with injuries and that type of thing too. And so, although college can sometimes hurt uh, soccer development in the short term, it also then gives security in other ways long term. So, it's definitely a decision to not make lightly. Yeah, I mean, and what I would say to that is, you know, maybe it, you know, you can justify that it hurts. Uh, you know, soccer long-term, but I would also say there's an incredible amount of psychological growth that you go through being away at college where, you know, I needed that, you know, a lot of people need that to grow and being 16, 17 years old, um, hypothetically at a lower division club in Europe, uh, injured in a different time zone than your family, very, uh, difficult and lonely place to be. You yeah. Know? So I think those are, like I said, there's, and you reiterated, uh, there's a lot of variables to it and it's not to be taken lightly. That's yeah, I, very... I, I like what John Hollinger said there too, like experiencing it, you know, for a couple of weeks in the summer, that's good too, because it is, I mean, it is just very different to live in Europe. And now obviously I've lived here for five years, so it's a little different, but everything is different when you go to Europe and at 18 years old, that's a difficult thing or 16 to, to deal with, you know, just nothing is familiar. The outlets are different. The keys are different. The light switches are different. It mentally just gets on you like everything and let alone the sport. And then, I mean, it's just a different environment too when you play in Europe and, and it can be more cutthroat. So I do like that suggestion of experiencing it, um, yes. you know, I, and getting I to see it. really related uh, back to your, your day in the life video when you were in the grocery store when you're like, I don't know what this uh, label says, but we're going to give it a go. 
Like, I can't tell you how many times I was trying to buy yogurt and I bought cream cheese. Like, <laughs> there's just like, you just, there's things you don't think about. And like, when you said the outlets, I was like, I got over to that hotel room in, in England and I was like, well, I'm pissed. I can't charge my phone. <laughs> like, I wish somebody told me about this. But yeah, there's so many little things that you don't really realize until you, until you go over there, um, which is one of the reasons why it's great to go over there. But you have to figure out, you know, the certain level of adversity that's right for the individual for them to grow without being, um, you know, discouraged, you know, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. Um, have you thought any more what where do you want your career to go? I mean, obviously everyone would want to be at the top playing for Everton, yeah, or something, but you know what what are you hoping um to achieve in your career what do you what do you want out of it? Um, well, so d c Israel Eric very focused on you know the playing aspect of uh you know i wanna you know i'm o I'm only focused on uh being successful on the field first and foremost i wanna be happy you know that's that's number one I need to feel happy whatever that is whatever that looks like um obviously I want to play at the highest level that I possibly can um and you know who knows what that looks like something i've been working on with with my goalkeeper coaches like there's, there's no purpose there's no rationale in putting a ceiling on what that is you know there's there's so many stories of guys that you know they get a move here they have a good run of games and then you know how is that guy that club <laughs> and you know i don't think it makes sense to put a ceiling on um wherever it is um and, and i would say that's the same thing i would say in terms of coaching um you know, I want to be happy. I want to feel successful based on what my definition of success is. I want to be financially stable and um, grow financially at the same time. Um, I think I can do more. Uh, I can give more to the world if I'm stable. Uh, you know, um, in terms of playing, like I said, I, I want to continue to get better. I want to continue to develop until the day that I decide I'm not developing in, anymore or the, the day that I feel that I'm not developing anymore. You know, I want to be continuing up until, you know, 35, 36 year old Eric, I want to continue to get better, get smarter, be more efficient with whatever it is that I do. Um, I don't know what level that's going to bring me to, you know, uh, and, and I can only hope that those qualities, the work ethic, it will um, bring me to the place where, you know, I'm supposed to be uh, for whatever time period that is. In terms of coaching, um, I want to coach at the highest level again um i i think that um you know there's coaches out there there's so many good coaches out there there's so many um good resources out there i i would be very wary to put a, a ceiling on my head coaching wise as well um mm. i i just from interacting and and the growth i've had of really committing myself to to learning about the game and in a coaching aspect for the past two-ish years um sky's the limit sky's the limit i think absolutely yeah no and i like that i think those are um better focused goals than just saying this is the team i want to coach for because maybe you make that but are you actually the coach you want to be are you teaching your players what you want to be are you the player yeah. you want to be i think those 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 type of goals are uh short-lived happiness 
and don't really make an impact on your life or other people's lives either. I think for the guys that have been around long enough and, and played long enough, uh, you know, I'm not naive to the fact that, you know, I could say I want to be uh, in the MLS by this date or in the Israeli Premier League by this date. I have no idea what the next six months are going to look like. I have no idea what the next year is going to look like. All I can do is try to be the best version of myself every single day that comes, you know, mm -hmm. and then let the chips where they fall with wherever they fall, you know, with my best foot forward. Yeah. But, you know, you, so I, I'd rather make goals and make statements about, you know, the person I want to embody and the character traits that I want to um, put out, you know? Yeah. 100% agree with that. 100%. Well, man, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. Um, I'm excited for you guys to hopefully figure out um, what needs to be done for you guys to be able to compete this year and have a Me season too. instead of one game, quarantine two weeks. <laughs> yes. That maybe get back to Canada, maybe not. <laughs> Um, I hope that I hope that's figured out um, so that you guys can get back to playing and I hope you have uh, a successful season. So I appreciate you sharing everything. I thought it was very, very insightful. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Matt. Um, thanks for taking the time to have me on. Uh, it was great chatting with you and good luck in Finland as well. Um, enjoy it over there. It looks great. Uh, looking forward to following these as well. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Have a good day. All right, man. Yeah, I'll talk to you. See ya. All right, bye.